Ooh, just kidding. Well, anyways, guys, so happy to see all of you here in the house of the Lord today. I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be able to come up and uh, talk a little bit more about something that's been on my heart for some time now. Um, you know, and, um, you know, the more I get to talk about Jesus, the happier I feel. So, uh, again, excited that I'm able to, to share this word with you guys today. Uh, this past week, I wrote a little blog post, and uh, the heart of the message um, really focused on how much time do we spend with God. And, and in this, you know, even in just the last six, seven months, I've come to realize myself that the more time I spend in the Word and the more time I spend building relationship, because we know relationships don't come naturally. You know, Rob and Carmela didn't just meet each other and then get married. They had to build that relationship. And just like my relationship with my wife or my friends, my relationship with Jesus takes time to build. And the more time I spend in the Word, the more time I get to understand who God truly is, the more excited I am and the easier it becomes to get in that Word daily. And so that's kind of where we're heading today. Before we get started, though, I want to tell a little story um, that kind of that led me to this little, I guess you could call it epiphany. I like to think of it as a revelation uh, because I know that the Holy Spirit gives me things throughout the week that I'm not sure where they come from or how they get there, but they're there. Um, and they build my faith. And so six or seven weeks ago, maybe three months ago, I don't know, it was some time ago, a good friend of mine who happens to be a very, 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 and like I don't know if I can use enough varies to describe this man's atheism, um, was in my house. And he was there just to pick something up that I had, had picked up at a yard sale, but I said, you know what, I'm going to give this a shot. We're going to use this opportunity to talk to him a little bit more about Jesus. So I said, Hey, you know, I, I know that there was a time where you spent a lot of time in church and you kind of walked away from that. What happened? And so he thought about it for a second and he said, you know, one day I just came to the, re- to the realization that I didn't need to live in fear of a God in order to be a good person. And so I said, what? I'm like, you're living in fear of a God who loves you? He said, I just don't feel like I need to have a fear of judgment and and in eternal damnation in hell in order to be a good moral person. I have a moral code. Everybody does. Why do I need God for that? So we went back and forth, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, hour goes by. We're still going. I'm talking. He's talking. I'm countering his argument. He's countering my argument. We're making no ground, as almost every argument that we get into in this world. I had a belief. He had a belief. And we weren't going anywhere. So I'm praying to God in my head. I'm sitting there on my couch. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to say to him right now. He's got me. I've got him. Where is this supposed to go? You brought him to my house for a reason. And all of a sudden it pops into my head that Christianity is not about being a good person. He looks at me and he says, Evan, I'm a good person. I'm working to be a good person. I say, I say, friend, that's not what it's about. You're missing the whole point of what Christianity is. I'm like, look where you're standing right now. He's like, what? I'm like, where are you right now in your living room? Right. Does that not strike you as ridiculous? He goes, absolutely not. We're friends. I'm like, but you spend days upon days ridiculing me, condescending me, talking down to me on social media and in person about my my relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet you're standing here in my living room. And he goes, he just sits there. I'm like, do you not see the irony in that? I'm like, let's flip it over. If I was that guy, if I was ridiculing you, if I was condescending you, if I was putting you down, would you welcome me into your home? 
He says, absolutely not. I'm like, that's the difference. I'm like, I have learned to see people the way God sees people. I'm like, it doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't matter what you say to me. I'm like, everything you do, you are a human being. You are created. God put you here for a purpose. You have talents, gifts, and abilities that God's given you that nobody else has. And I want you in my home because I want you to experience that relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to kick you to the curb. I'm like, man, you only tolerate people. Like, you don't love. If you're willing to talk to me with genuine kindness one day and then ridicule me the next, what is that? Is that a moral code? I think it's just tolerance. I'm like, I'll talk to you and I'll love you the same way. I had just gotten back from Aldi, literally just while he walked through the door. And some lady yelled and screamed at me because I grabbed a box of cheese that she had just sat back down. What? I'm like, I'm already fired up because this lady's yelling at me over some cheeses. I'm like, of all the things, like, and then for him to come into my house and condescend me in my house, like, I'm like, dude, you do not understand the love I have for you. And he started crying. And he's like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that. So that popped into my head. I said, I think that the heart of all of this, something I never realized before, the heart of all of this, beyond being saved by Jesus Christ, is starting to understand how to love people the way God loves people. Because out of that love comes everything else. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is exactly what I started to figure out after I had that little epiphany or that revelation, um, talking to my friend in my living room. And excuse me while my notes are freaking out. Um, So anyway, it's just like last time I preached. I like to give a little context. And so um, to better understand where this idea comes from of love being the greatest thing that we can do for the world around us, um, I like to look uh, at Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And so, Paul, if you want to toss it up there, that's great. If not, I'm going to read the whole passage anyways. So uh, starting in verse 36, um, speaking to Jesus, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So right off the bat, we find ourselves being commanded into love. More specifically, loving God, which is the first step we need to take as Christians, right? We need to come to relationship with Jesus Christ, and we need to love him with everything that we are. Um, so that right there is our, is our first commandment. Um, verse 39, um, yeah, verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. So Jesus is making it very clear in this passage what it is we're supposed to do. And the common theme between it is what? Love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Well, if we jump to Matthew 45, 43 to 48, it gets a little different. Same heart, a little different. Um, Starting in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do you not do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So we're taking this a step further. It's not only do we need to love our brothers and sisters, 
But we need to love those who persecute us. We need to love our enemies. Those that we don't like to spend time around. Those who have wronged us. God doesn't qualify it by saying, well, so-and-so put you down and ridiculed you in front of your friends. Don't love them anymore. Cast them into hell. No, that's not in there. You know, as Christians, we're called to love at all costs. Regardless of the situation, regardless of what the other people do for you. That is unconditional love. That is a relationship like Jesus has with us. On a daily basis, I spit in the face of God and I sin. Do I want to sin? No, but we know we do what we don't want to do and, you know, it's ridiculous. But the fact of the matter is no matter what I do during my day, my Heavenly Father looks at me with love and says, Come here, son. I love you. Let's get them tomorrow. You know, that's a beautiful thing. So, you know, and it's also reminding us, too, that everybody in this world is the same. His rain falls on the just and the unjust. It doesn't say that the rain falls on the ground of those who love him or the rain doesn't fall on the ground of those who love The rain falls, and it falls on all of us. You know, I'm no different than Rob. I'm no different than Claudia. I'm no different than Mary. We are people. And each one of us deserves to be loved the way God loves us. So, you know, again, important to love those who hate you because it's easy to love those who love you. I I love to go see my friend Ken. He loves me. It's easy to talk to Ken. It's hard to talk to my friend that I was referencing in the message because I know what's coming. But the fact of the matter is the only way he's ever going to experience anything different is if I love him. Because he's in a world, he's in with people who will ridicule. He tells me, he's like, I don't know why I hang out with these people. They just are rude and do all this stuff. I'm like, okay, well then find a different group of friends. Come to church, you'll experience people who love you. But the question becomes, who is your enemy? And again, I think it's pretty simple to figure that out. Um, my enemy is anybody who's in opposition to the word of God. You know, they might not have, you know, outright done something to me, but the fact of the matter is they're not in the fold of God. They have opposition to the spirit. I need to love those people. I need to show those people love. It's not just, again, the person who stole from your store. It's not just that person. It's everybody that walks through the door that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, and you find those people out. You need to show them the love of God. So we need to love people the way God loves people. We need to see people the way God sees people. I truly believe that this is the climax of Christian living. Um, you know, it's amazing, but you can literally make or break your entire witness by opening your mouth. One, two, three words make a sentence. And what you choose to do with those things is what's going to help someone see the heart change that you've had through your relationship with Jesus. Witness is so fragile. I've experienced that time and time again. Because I choose to associate with people who need to know Jesus. Now, it's, I feel like it's less and less the more I work at a Christian college. But, you know, the fact of the matter is I still have friends from high school who need to know Jesus. But, my, but that witness is so fragile because the moment I go and do they're looking for it. They're looking for me to be a hypocrite. They're looking for something to call out a contradiction. My witness is so fragile. Matthew twenty two forty on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. It's so serious, guys. Love is incredibly powerful. Love triumphs over everything. It bridges all gaps. 
I may have nothing in common with somebody, but if they're having a bad day and I choose to speak a kind word into their life, all of a sudden they want to get to know me. It doesn't matter that we're from different sides of the country or the globe. It's that common theme of, hey man, I want to get to know you. How's your day going? That love that I'm showing to that person opens all doors. Hardened, dark people who have experienced nothing but hate in their lives will open up to you if you love them. If you treat them the way God treats you. You know, we're born onto this planet. My son, while he doesn't know it yet, is sinful. The first face he was able to make was an angry face. Are you kidding me? If that's not more of an example of the fact that it's in us to be angry, spiteful human beings, I don't know what is. So it's a tiny, fragile human being, and his first face has an angry face. Like, come on. All of us have it in us, and yet God still took the time to get to know us and come after us and save us. You know, it's not in me that gets saved. It's God who changes my heart. You know, And we can help start that process. We can plant those seeds with other people. Proverbs 15, 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Your words can literally tear people down. You literally can break someone with your words. And again, I'm not perfect. This is probably my greatest area of struggle and why I think the Lord brought that on to me, those six, eight, ten, whatever time ago it was. But he brought that specifically for me, not because he needed to hear it. I mean, he did, but I needed to hear it. I needed to dig into the word of God. I couldn't just take it at face value. To me, that is what is the most powerful thing about a relationship with Jesus. When he tells you something, just like if my mom were to tell me something, I want to go research it more. I want to better understand it. You know, Rob's not going to come up to me and say, oh, there's a really, really cool fact about the world. And I'm not going to just say, oh, that's great, Rob. Thanks for sharing that with me. I'm going to go, huh? I want to check that out. I'm going to go check a book out of the library. I'm going to go research it online. It's the same with Jesus. Jesus reveals something to you in some kind of subordinate revelation. I'm going to go dig into that. I'm going to go figure out what, what's, what's to that. Why was that given to me? So take those opportunities when he gives you something and dig a little bit deeper. Matthew 15, 11, um, you know, I think that is just an incredibly, incredibly, or all of it. I mean, Proverbs, Matthew, I mean, Matthew talks a lot about love um, throughout, so you'll see that's kind of my my um, theme here. Proverbs 18, 20 to 21, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Again, another example of how powerful the tongue really is. The tongue has the power of life and death. Now, I think that means a little bit more than just, oh, the, the tongue can kill or destroy. I think we're looking at it from an eternal perspective. Again, your tongue has the power to bring someone closer to Jesus or farther away from Jesus. You know, words, words mean a lot. Proverbs six sixteen through 19. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. How many of those things are an outpouring of your heart? How many of those things involve your tongue? I mean, lying right off the bat involves your tongue. 
Um, a false witness who pours out lies involves your tongue. A person who, stores, who stirs up conflict in their community involves the tongue. I mean, just three of those things right off the bat, and I'm sure we could tie back a lot of these other things to it. A heart that divides is wicked schemes. When you divide a wicked scheme, what are you going to do with it? You're going to talk about it? You're going to try to take that scheme into action? Are you going to try to get other people involved with it? I mean, the tongue is so powerful. So, you know, I always wonder, like, but how does something so simple affect so much? Well, ultimately, guys, it's just an outpouring of your heart. Where your heart is, so is your tongue. Take good in, get good out. Take bad in, put bad out. You can't take a bad something in and put a good something out. Just like you can't take a good something in, hopefully not, take a good something in, take, and put good and put bad stuff back out. The reality is you can invalidate everything you do by the words you say, by the love you show people. Every act of service, everything you do for the kingdom can be gone in a second when you open your mouth. It doesn't matter how much time you spend serving the poor. It doesn't matter how much time you spend volunteering. If you are not loving people, every people, not just the people that you're serving, but your family, your friends... All of that can be undone by the way you choose to act towards other people. That's horrifying to me. You know, if if there's someone out there that I'm interacting with who's not saved, and all of a sudden I start gossiping, what's what's the first thing you think of when someone gossips to you? I don't know about this, but I say, I wonder what this person's saying behind my back. Because if they're capable of saying it to me, they're capable of saying it about me. You know, you like, I know a lot of us, and I'm guilty of it, I say, oh, did you hear? Did you hear? Like, very trying to make it very innocent. You know, oh, I'm not really gossiping, but did you hear about this person? Did you hear about that thing? But really, it's just gossip. That's all it is. You're stirring something up. You're making someone think something about someone that they shouldn't need to be thinking. And then, and then that moment, I lose all credibility. You know, if Frank comes up to me and says, oh, did you hear about Rob? I'm going to go, and then he says something negative. What am I going to do? I'm going to go, this guy preaches to the church. And yet he's willing to come out and say something negative about a guy who's in his service. Now, I've never heard Frank do that. I think Frank has that part of his tongue under control. But, <laughs> um, but you know, but it is what it is. It's the same with me. If I walk up to someone and I say something negative and they don't know Jesus, they don't know me, and then I try to talk to them about Jesus, they're not going to think you're a hypocrite. So when you start to see people the way God sees people, everything else starts to change. I think that's the basis for how we can have that outpouring of everything else. If you cannot, you know, if we cannot love people, again, it doesn't matter what else we do. People will never take us seriously. I don't know a single person who's making great strides for the kingdom, but has a horrible tongue who's tearing people down left and right. I just don't. The people that I see making the biggest strides for the kingdom, the people who are being blessed, the people who are growing, the people who are making an eternal difference are the people who love everyone regardless of what they do. And they keep their mouth shut. And the only thing that they let out are words of affirmation, words of positivity. You know, if a homosexual person walked into our service right now, would they experience the love of God or just plain 
unconditional, genuine love that they're not finding in the world. And the sad fact of the matter is there are so many churches that that's not the case. Is our church one of them? Will we love whomever walks into the service tattooed, gluttonous, angry? Will we love all of those people in an unconditional way? That the way God loves us. Because here's the thing. Each one of you has a sin. And no sin is greater than another. I struggle with gluttony. Look at me. I'm not thin and pretty. But you guys let me get up here and speak the word of God to you. I'm just as guilty of sin as homosexual people, as drug addicted people, as people who struggle with lust, as people who struggle with anger. I'm no different. I need a savior. I need a savior. They need a savior. We shouldn't be treating anybody else any different, regardless of what they do to me. If your worst enemy walked in here right now, what would you do? Would you walk up and hug that person? Because they're in your church service. They're trying to become a part of the body. Or would you ignore them? Would you look the other way? Would you hope that they don't walk up to you and say anything to you because you don't know how you'd hold your tongue? We have to get past that. Jesus gets past that on a daily basis. He cannot be in the presence of sin, and yet where do we find ourselves every day? In sin. Every day. And yet we can still walk up to the throne room of God... And pray and fast and thank him, regardless of the sin that we commit. So why should that? Why should we? We are creations. We are to reflect God. Would they be amazed by the attitude with which you treat them? Would they be impressed? Would they be blown out of the water by the fact that you walk up and hug them and love on them and welcome them into the church and sit with them and worship with them? Would they walk out of here going, oh my goodness, I did not expect to run into this person today. I didn't want to run into this person today, but here I was. And how did they treat me? That is love. That is God. Proverbs 25, 22 through 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heat burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. It's not up to you to take revenge on somebody. It's not up to you to confront somebody. It's not up to you to put somebody in their place. God will do it. God is the greatest being in the universe. He's the most ironic person I know. I found myself in plenty of situations where I'm like, wow, that's funny. God worked that out. Not in a spiteful way, but in a wow. I didn't have to worry about it. He took care of it. I mean, you know, to me, being able to put all my trust in God to do what he needs to do takes a lot of pressure off me. It allows me to focus on what God's, you know, put me on this earth to do. I'm not running around trying to be revengeful or spiteful or angry. I'm saying, you know what? That happened. God's going to deal with it. Let's move on to the next thing. So, we're put on this earth for what? To reflect God. We can't love people unless we're reflecting God. We are the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Psalm 8, 3 to 8. When I consider consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which, which, which you have ordained, 
What is man that you may take thought of him? And the, man, and the son of man that you care for him, yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the seas, whatever passes through the paths of the, sea, of the seas. God has given us the ability. He has put us just below him. We're above the angels. He's given us an opportunity to be creative. He's given us an opportunity to reason. How do we do science? Science isn't in conflict with our faith. God put us on this earth with a curiosity and an ability to find things out. We are creative people. God is a creative God. Look at a tree. My goodness. It's beautiful. You can't tell me that God's not a creative God. You know, I get general general revelation every day. Ever since this little revelation that I had in my head, I saw a rainbow once. I've seen many a rainbow before. But for whatever reason, this rainbow made me worship. I've never experienced that before. But the beauty, the majesty that comes with the promise that God is never going to flood the earth and wipe out humanity, at the same time it's aesthetically pleasing, I started crying. I started to recognize the power and the majesty and the glory of God through his creation. And because of that, though, that majesty, that power he's imparted to us, we get to do the same thing. My my wife, she knows how to draw. I don't. My stick figures don't even look like stick figures. She can draw great pictures. Some One that I want to hang on the fridge. Mine go right in the trash can. I'm not creative, but she is. God is creative. God's given me my own gifts, talents, and abilities, and I'm thankful for that because I get to apply them to other things that give me excitement. But he's created you in his image. And that's not just physical appearance. That's your innate ability to do things. That's your hunger for knowledge. All of those things. So what happens when we actually start to view people as created beings? With those gifts, with those talents, with those abilities, but more ultimately with a purpose. We start to appreciate those people. We start to want to be around those people. Those angry people we meet in Aldi's over a box of Cheez-Its no longer bother us. Because, hey, guess what? They're just having a bad day, just like you and I. But that person still has a purpose. They're not a worthless being. They don't deserve to be talked down to. They're on the same level as you, because guess what, guys? When we die, we get buried in the ground. Very few of us have monuments made to us. I don't think anyone should have monuments made to them because they're no different than I. But the fact of the matter is when we're gone, we're gone. The same biological, chemical makeup of our bodies is the same in me as it is in Lenny. It's the same as me as it is in Kayla. It's the same as me as it is in Grace and just much, 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 much smaller. It's the same. We were all created to be the same. And therefore, I will never or should never be putting other people above my, above or below me and putting myself above them. Obviously, I want to put people above me because that's what God did when he came and sacrificed himself on the cross. So first, first Corinthians 13, I think you all probably know this one. Um, if it hasn't been read in every wedding ever in the history of man, I'd be shocked to find that out. Uh, But it's more than just how we should love our spouse. 
I view this as how we should treat everyone. So if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Now here's the part we all know. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. God, trust God always, always looks for the best and never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Inspired speech will, will, will be over someday. Praying in tongues will end. Understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. What we say about God is always incomplete, but when the complete arrives, our incompleteness will be canceled. When I have, when I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and, gurgled and cooed like an infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't see, we don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it, we'll see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees us, knowing Him directly just as He knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God, hope unswerving, unswervingly, Love extravagantly, and the best of these three is love. Now, I believe that's the message translation. I picked it because it was modern and it flows with the message, I think, a little bit more. And I think it gets at the point without the confusing language. But all that to say, love never dies. For eternity, we will be in love. What do we think heaven's like? It's constant love. So no matter what... When the completeness comes, love will still exist. That's why it's so important. Because if you can't love here, why should you love there? That's what he's called you to. Because he understands what eternity is like. And it's constant love. It's constant praise. And ultimately, again, it's what he's called us to. It's the greatest commandment. Love. But ultimately, we can't get there alone, guys. In this conversation with my friend, he loves science. He's all about science. He's constantly posting about science. And so I said, in you know, my human intelligence and thought I was the most brilliant guy in the world, well, let's talk about science for a second. Now, granted, I'm a social scientist. I got a degree in economics, so I can look at an economy and tell you how healthy it is. But I can't look at the human body and tell you how healthy it is. So I'm I'm kind of out of my league here, but I'm just going to go with it. I was like, let's do this thing. I'm like, I'm like, what is in your nature? Nature makes you what you are, right? I'm like a dog barks. It's in his nature. I talk real loud. It's in my nature. What can I do? But I said, I'm like, I'm like, think about the dog. The dog used to run free, kill and eat and survive on its own, right? Then a guy like Evan came out of nowhere captured the dog, somehow made the dog stay in its house, made it tame, made it reliant on him, and now all of a sudden there's one in a house somewhere hanging out. Same with cats. Big cats, now little cats. 
and they just annoy the heck out of me as they're getting hair all over the place. So we've changed their nature, right? I can't stick my cat back out into the forest and expect it to live real long. Now, I might, but it's probably not. Its nature's been changed. I said to him, you realize that the nature of something can only be changed when a greater being acts upon you and influences you enough that your nature changes. I'm like, that, my friend, is why you'll never be a good person. Because you can't do it in your own strength. You can't change the way you look at people on your own. You have to be influenced by a greater being. Something well above and beyond you. Because guess what, guys? Human beings are pretty smart. We, we can see atoms. We can see minuscule little things through a microscope that they couldn't see hundreds and thousands of years ago. We're pretty bright. But we look at ourselves and say, I can change myself. I can't change myself, guys. I still like to eat, no matter how hard I try. And I can never like salad, no matter what you put on it. Thankfully, my wife is above me and has gotten me eating salad daily. She's greater than I, and I'm thankful for that. That's why I married her, right? Your nature will not change. It will never change. You will never do it on your own. Unless you accept and plead for the help from Jesus. Now, guys, I'm going to read a verse, and I hope you all recognize it. I'm going to read it, and you tell me where it's from. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. We recognize that verse? It's right out there on the wall. It's like the church's verse. New beginnings. New beginnings. Our church, the name, is representing what we want when we come to relationship with Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. The new only comes through that relationship with Jesus. Only he, the greatest being that this world has ever known, can act upon you and change you and change your heart and make you different. And take those scales off your eyes the way he did for Saul on the road to Damascus. And, you know, when he, that trans, that, what, the conversion experience, now he's Paul. He can only wipe those scales away. Only he can. You don't think Saul would have been digging at his eyes trying to make those go away if he could get them off? You know? We can't do it. I can't do it. I can't help you be a better person because I need help being a better person. I can't, I can work with Rob and I can show him the scripture. And we can sit down on a daily basis, and you're a good person, Rob, don't, don't worry, I'm just picking on you, because you're here. But I can't help Rob be a better person. I can show him why he should be going after Jesus in the way that would cause him to do that, but only he and his relationship with Jesus can change that. Titus 3.5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Spirit. He did it. He did it. It's not saying I did it. It's not saying that I've washed myself clean. It's not saying I jumped into the bath one day and used Holy Spirit soap and here I am. It's saying that he did it. He regenerates. He renews. Not me. Not me with Rob. Not the church with Rob. But Jesus was with Rob.
I, I know that. Because Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells me, for it's been grace, it's for grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no man can boast. Works will not save you. I don't care how many homeless you feed. I don't care how many millions of dollars you give away. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you will not go to heaven. That's truth. That's the most absolute truth. There is no arguing that. I have it. I see it. It's right here. Not by works because no one should be able to qualify their their worthiness into heaven. We're not going to get to the gate and we're not going to have to list off all the good things we've done. It's not going to happen like that. It doesn't matter. At the same time, no one should be able to say, I've given a million dollars to charity. How much have you given? It's not about that. Whether you give $5 to charity or $1,000 to charity, you, as long as you have a relationship with Jesus, will be in the same place in eternity as that person who's given millions. And you know what? I might even argue, you know, because the Bible tells me it's hard for a rich man to get through heaven. It's easier to pass a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven because they have more temptation because of that money. You know, when you're, you know, I look at it myself this way. If I had millions of dollars, I'd have a harder time relying on God because it's hard to rely on God when you're in need. When you have legitimate needs that need met, it's hard to rely on God, but you have to. You have to go after it with everything that you are. When you have millions of dollars, you have nothing to worry about. You can go to the store and you can buy the entire grocery store. Your cupboards are stocked with food. You look like me after a while because you have everything that you want, all the food that you could possibly eat. You can walk up and buy a car with cash. Can I buy a car with cash? No, I have to pray that the Lord helps me make my payment every month. You know, that takes a lot of faith. You know? It, you know, it, so God is the greater being. That's what I'm getting at here. For it has been by grace you have been saved through faith. So guys, loving people is literally the most important thing we can do. Literally the most important thing you can do. If you cannot love, nothing else matters. Um, I have a quick quick song um, for a King and Country song. You guys have all probably heard it, but I'm playing it for you anyways. Um, it means a lot to me. It's been a great encouragement for me um, as I've gone on through this. So I'll have Paul play it and then we'll wrap up.
angelic ecstasy, but don't love. I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of His mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and if I have faith to say to a mountain, "Jump," and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give all I own to the poor, or even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gone nowhere. So, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do. I'm bankrupt without love. Let my life be the proof, the proof of your love. Let my love look like you and what you made of. How you lived, how you died, love is sacrifice. So let my life be the proof, the proof of your. So guys, if love is something that you struggle with on a daily basis, I would recommend fire up YouTube on your phone, in your car, hope that it comes on the radio. Listen to that song every morning. Um, I think it'll make a big impact. Um, before we close up, James 1, 19 through 26. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Don't walk out of this place today and let your religion be worthless. Don't walk out of here and open your mouth and say something negative. You're only deceiving yourself. Take what you learned today. If you learned something, I pray that you learned something. Every time I get up to speak, before I get up to speak, I pray that someone's convicted. I want you all to be convicted because I think that in every message there's something for you. But I want you to take away from this. Um, do what it says. Apply it to your life. Matthew 12, 13, or 12, 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. That, that verse right there makes me emotional. Because guess what? I have to give an account for everything I do. Everything I say. Everything I've ever done. Everything. Don't let your religion be worthless. We're ending a little early. A little earlier than we normally do. I think it's for a purpose. Before we go though, um, I want to ask if you've been struggling with love with how you use your tongue, stand up. We're going to pray. Because I believe that every one of us in here struggles with that from time to time. So if that's you, stand up. I'll ask, and I'm going to have Frank come and close us in a word of prayer. Come on, Frank.
Can't let you not be a part of the service. But before we do that, I just want to, just a, just a quick testimony. Uh, yesterday I played five games of softball. I was incredibly sore this morning. When I walked up on the stage to start worshiping, I said, Lord, I have to deliver a sermon today and I like to be active. And I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm still sore. Well, guess what, guys? I'm not sore anymore. God is so good. Even in the simple things, something as little as just tightness in your muscles, God can change it.